Hey everybody, Tina here. If you're an advisor looking for that one conference that gives you inspiration, connection, and proven best practices to grow your firm, Excel is the place. And it's happening September 13th to 15th in Las Vegas at the beautiful Cosmopolitan Hotel. I attended last year's event and can't wait to be there again this year. This year's lineup is jaw-dropping. Abby Wambach, Olympian activist and authors on the main stage. Tucker Bryant, award-winning poet. New York Times bestselling author Michael Pollan, founder and CEO of Chip Dana Wilson, multifaceted entrepreneur, author, personal finance expert Lauren Simmons, and of course, Ron Carson, Jamie Hopkins, Paul West from Carson, and the list goes on and on, Brittany Castro, Dr. Preston Cherry. So head on over to excelconferences.com, that's Excel with two L's, register now and check it out. On this week's episode of In the Suite with Tina Powell. I didn't have any trepidation going into the workforce, but being in this world, what I've realized, especially now, is had I been a not woman and not a woman of color at that age, I think I maybe would have had different opportunities presented earlier in the corporate world, which is part of the reason why I decided to go into business for myself, because I'm going to just create those opportunities for myself and for other women that want to be in this space and other minorities that want to be in this space. Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the sweep. In today's episode, we welcome Vina Jetty in the suite. Vina is the founder of Vive Funds, joining us for this incredible conversation about real estate investing. Vive Funds is a unique commercial real estate firm that specializes in multifamily real estate investing. Vina has over a decade of experience working for multiple Fortune 500 companies and has oversaw more than $1 billion in real estate assets. Vina ultimately left one of the largest real estate investment firms in D.C. and started investing herself. Today, she serves as the founder of the successful commercial real estate firm, Vibe Funds, and owns a portfolio of $400 million in assets. Vina wants to help others make wise financial decisions. And as a result, she's designed the multifamily masterclass that's intended for passive investors to be sophisticated and knowledgeable about real estate. Vina lives by the motto, build wealth, build a legacy, and do more good in the world. Not only does she financially support women and minority-owned businesses through a micro-lending website called kiva.org, but she's actively involved in various charitable boards and various philanthropic endeavors. As an example, she provides loans to install water infrastructure, and she recently assisted in planting more than 1,000 trees in a rainforest. Because of Vina's diverse background, she's often a panelist and a speaker for various podcasts, 
global conferences, and radio shows. Today's episode with Mina is a masterclass in itself that's going to put a spring in your step. In fact, one of the many gifts that you'll discover about Vina Jetty in this episode is her expert knowledge on real estate. Vina discusses the benefits of different investment models. She shares excellent advice on what to do for investment deals, and she gives us insights into the behind the scenes of her deal-making and funding process to provide a luxury real estate investing experience. Vina also sheds light on gender discrimination within the real estate industry and gives us inspiring advice on how women can break the stereotypes in the suite. Wow, Vina Jetty, take a seat in the suite. It is so great to see you here today. How are you doing? I'm so excited to kick things off with you. Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well. I am so happy to be here. We've been having so much fun in the suite. It was reason why I wanted to bring you here. You are the founding partners of Vive Funds. You've been in real estate since the age of 20. And you are the one of the first women here in the suite that we've actually are going to be able to talk about real estate in the way that we should be talking about real estate, because it's something that every woman needs to know. And being that you've had such an amazing career and that it's been part of who you are since like the beginning of time. We're so honored to have your expertise and your thought leadership here. So let's get right into it. So you're the founder of Vive Funds, which is a commercial real estate firm that specializes in opportunities for investors. So congratulations on that. And at the age of 20, you started in real estate. So that's a pretty cool entree into a very successful business career. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, I so I actually probably started in real estate before that because my mom is a successful real estate investor. So you know, I always like joke and say I took the sh- shortcut in because I had a foundation that was really well laid out ahead of time for me. But I, like you said, I graduated college when I was 20 with my degree in finance. And my mom was so excited. She thought I was going to join the family business and work with her. And I was like, no, I'm an adult. I can do my own thing. And so I got a job in corporate real estate, made a bunch of money for other people, (laughs) did that for several years. And then ultimately in 2012, I left the corporate world to start my own company was definitely a change and, but I loved it. And I work more hours than I've ever worked before in my whole entire life, but it's for myself. And, you know, the saying goes, an entrepreneur will work a hundred hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week for somebody else. And that totally is true for me. So just continue to scale up. And now that's where Vive Funds has kind of brought me to in today's world. So it's interesting, just because our parents have that family business doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to go into that line of work. And I think what, at least I'll I'll speak for me, going into business, right? I'm a business major too. You graduated from the University of Illinois at Chicago with a degree in finance at age 20. And so coming out of college and then going right into the business world, did you have any trepidation or did you have any challenges at actually being accepted at such a young age in such a hot industry? 
You know, it's funny that you say that because I think my parents, one thing they were really successful at was raising like overconfident daughters. Um, So I thought I knew everything when I was like in my late teens and early (laughs) twenties. And the older I've gotten, the more I realized that I do not know anything about anything. And since having daughters myself, I've called my mom to apologize to her many, many times. <laughs> but so I didn't have any trepidation going into the workforce. But being in this world, what I've realized, especially now, is had I been a not woman and not a woman of color at that age, I think I maybe would have had different opportunities presented earlier in the corporate world, which is part of the reason why I decided to go into business for myself, because I'm going to just create those opportunities for myself and for other women that want to be in this space and other minorities that want to be in this space. So I think it was definitely in hindsight, I think I probably could have gotten a lot further. I, obviously, I don't know. But I'll also say it's a lot easier to work harder for yourself than it is for someone else. The other thing that I want to bring up, you mentioned that you are a woman of color. Can you just share a little bit of your heritage? Again, not everybody can see us. And so I want them to really, and I want to truly celebrate that because it's another reason why we're sharing these stories of women in the suite. Yeah. So I'm Indian by origin. I was born in America, but my parents both immigrated here in, I think in 1980. So it's been almost like 40 something years now. And my my dad actually came here to do his PhD in metallurgical engineering. And my mom, you know, was married to him. So she followed him. (laughs) And, uh, you know, my parents came here with nothing. They came here with like $26 and it's probably, you know, if there's any children of immigrants listening, it's probably the same story that they had too. They came here with $26 and they worked hard and they saved and made really good financial decisions. And ultimately my parents are the American dream, right? They came from nothing to being self-made. They retired early from their real estate portfolio. Both of them retired early. Well, I say that, but my mom is like a serial entrepreneur. So she retired and then she went out and bought another business. And so now she still has another business because she just wants to. Um, She just enjoys what she does, but she's technically retired. That's so great. I look at the billionaires in our society, right? And what do we see? They're still working. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. You look at the rock stars, the billionaires, the people crushing in business, the people going into space and whatever, they're still working. They're the first people. Exactly. So it it goes along with that spirit. Let's talk a little bit about Vive Funds. So I'm using like these terms and I'm throwing them around commercial real estate that specializes in opportunities for investors. Can you just give us the basics? for women and for men listening here in the suite that might, when they think of real estate, Vina, they're thinking about real estate in terms of like probably owning a house or owning an apartment or maybe a vacation home that they rent out. Yeah. So what I do, I'm actually like a one trick pony. And what you'll realize if you kind of dive into the world of real estate is there's so many different asset classes. And then within asset classes, there are subclasses. So what I do very specifically is I do commercial real estate, which is kind of like overarching. Then you go a step, a layer further and I do multifamily, which is apartment complexes. So when you see these apartment complexes of like 100, 200, 500 units, 
we buy those. So we acquire, own, and operate those. So we run the business that's inside of them, the leasing business. The um, We take care of everything from tenants and plumbing issues and renovations and business strategy. And then we exit those. And then if you go a layer further, I'm specifically in class B multifamily, which is not quite your new like Manhattan penthouse, but also not bars on the window, unsafe area. We're kind of in that workforce or a little bit nicer than workforce housing. So 1980s and newer builds. And we do large class B. So anything 200 units and above at this point is kind of where our target is. And then to go even further, we go into very specific markets that we target. So we're very laser focused on what we do. But then to kind of step back again, going into commercial real estate, you can have self-storage, you can have industrial, you can have office space, you can have retail space. There's a lot of different ways to be in commercial real estate. The space I'm in is kind of the one that transcends both the residential and commercial side, but because of the size and the ownership style, it is considered commercial real estate. Mm, Interesting. And are you working with accredited investors? So I think that that also might be a term that's new for people here. Yes. So I typically work with accredited investors. Now, the SEC really oversees all of this type of investment because it's an alternative investment and it's what's called an unregistered security. So it's unregistered, but we still have to tell the SEC what our plans are and register it, which is so counterintuitive, but we pay our attorneys a lot of money to handle that for us. <laughs> and so um, there's two main exemptions that real estate investors use in my space. One is called the 506B exemption and one's called a 506C, like Charlie exemption. In the 506B exemption, you can raise capital. So I can go to my neighbor, my cousin, um, my third grade teacher. I can go to anybody I know and have a pre-existing substantive relationship with and raise capital and they can invest into my deals. I'm allowed to have 35 unaccredited investors and an unlimited amount of accredited investors. What the difference is between accredited and unaccredited is an accredited investor is a single person with an income of $200,000 or more for the last two years with a reasonable expectation of maintaining that salary or income level and $300,000 if you are married for the last two years with a reasonable expectation. Another way you can meet that is if you have a net worth of over a million dollars, excluding your primary home. So if you live in California, you cannot count your primary home towards your net worth calculation. Um, but the, And there's a bunch of other ways, but those are the two primary ways that most investors will meet that. On a 506C raise, oh, and on a 506B raise, so I can have those 35 unaccredited, but I can't publicly solicit it. So mm. I can't go and post it on Facebook to a random group of people. It has to be people I know and have an existing relationship with that I can market it to. On a uh, 506C raise, which is what we predominantly do, I can have any kind of advertising I want. I can take out a billboard in the middle of Manhattan, but I cannot have a single unaccredited investor in the deal. So, and the threshold to verify that is higher. So we have a verification process that requires third-party verification in order to be invested into our deals. But generally speaking, most of our investors, we want them to be able to withstand and tolerate any kind of volatility in the market, which is why we do that 506C. 
Did you know that the U.S. is ranked number 14 in financial literacy levels worldwide? Or that more than half of American adults are anxious about personal finances with women, minorities, millennials, and Gen Z being impacted the most? The lack of financial literacy is an economic and public health crisis because being financially literate is essential to improving America's standard of living and reducing income equality. That's where Financial Fitness Group comes in. They're helping to empower people by making learning about finances easy, effective, and fun. FFG is a leading provider of unbiased financial education to banks, credit unions, advisors, government agencies, and employers across the nation. Visit financialfitnessgroup.com today to learn more. I know you're coming today from Dallas, Texas, normally. Is that where your project's located in your neck of the woods or are they beyond? So we have a focus in Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Those are the states, and Arizona. So those are the states we really look to be investing in. Our last two acquisitions, which also are the last, the two largest, those happen to be in Atlanta. Atlanta has just been a phenomenal market. and. Those assets aren't quite workforce housing. Workforce housing is maybe like forty to fifty thousand dollars of income per family is kind of what you're looking at workforce. Our income level is generally like 60, 65 to maybe like even 90. Our last asset had an average income of 89,000. So it just it kind of depends on the asset itself. But that's actually one of the indicators to us whether we go into a project or not. Interesting. And what did you see in terms of the pandemic? Mm -hmm. I think that we saw this major trickle down effect to certain industries. Real estate benefited greatly, right? It did. So it's been really bizarre because this is kind of like the black swan event that none of us really knew what to do. It's not like I could call someone up from my network who's been through this before and say, hey, what'd you do when this happened to you? Because everyone's like, well, I don't know. Like, And then also there was the added nuance of, okay, so now the government or CDC, local and county governments are all stepping in to put in place these eviction moratoriums. And obviously like as somebody who has like some kind of moral principles I like to live by. I'm not comfortable kicking someone out either, but there's the balance between doing that and also performing for our investors. And so it actually was really challenging for us because we didn't really know what was going to happen. And our assets that were in better locations that had higher incomes generally fared much better from a stability standpoint, mainly because a lot of those tenants were able to switch pretty seamlessly. There are a lot of tech careers that could switch seamlessly to work from home last year. The assets that we've acquired since COVID, the Atlanta ones, those have actually done really well through COVID. And again, it's because a lot of the tenants could switch to working from home, whereas our assets that are in a little bit of a lower income, maybe their income is like 40,000, 50,000, even maybe sub 60,000, they couldn't switch as easily. So them missing one paycheck is a lot because they can't sustain monthly rent ongoing. So it's been a challenge to balance that and then also balance, you know, the want for community and social interaction with, okay, I don't 
really want to spread COVID to all of my tenants at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like avoiding having those super spreader events, but it, you know, there's a balance to everything, but the vaccine has actually changed a lot of the uh, horizon and landscape at real estate. I thought this would actually cause pricing to come down and this market is hotter today than it's ever been. Yeah, we're seeing that here too. And I'm just so glad I moved here to my neck of the woods here as a result of needing to be closer to my mom. That was that that kind of, there was a light that was shown on that situation during the pandemic. And I sold my house in a day. I came here, building supplies are up, just the yeah. cost of if if you've been in a new property within the last seven or eight months, that property has appreciated in value in ways that was so rapid. And to your point, Vina, there is no playbook. You can't literally call anyone and and ask, yeah, what did you do during that pandemic? It's pandemic. Been, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it has been such an awakening for for all of us. There's lots of different ways to think about real estate. When I came into finance, I was like, wow, I learned a little bit about private equity. Our marketing company also, too, did work with a private equity real estate fund, learned about opportunity zones, learned about those things. So it's a very, very exciting space. Would you say that because I know that you have a degree in finance and I believe that finance and real estate go hand in hand, right? They do. I mean, I'll tell you, though, I've learned way more from being just in corporate spaces than I did in college. And I mean, college, I really think what college teaches you is how to like balance and network and do learn how to like be structured as like a, a mini adult. Right. So yeah. uh, there's a lot of freedom and a lot of responsibility, but not quite the full responsibility of being an adult. But yeah, I learned way more, I would say just from being in the corporate world, but what it did do and it does do even today is it opens a lot of doors to have those conversations. Yeah. One of the, the other things that I see that you're doing in your background too, is that you're a Forbes council member where you're writing. So you have the education piece and then you have the, the practical piece where there's so much more information there now. Are there things within real estate from a female's perspective that women sh in real estate should know? Should women think about real estate differently in terms of men? I'll say this. my Some of my biggest supporters and cheerleaders are men in this space. And I think that's probably true in every space, right? Is there are absolutely, I, and I work with awesome men throughout my career and even currently on my teams. And I will say that they are the ones that are, the strongest voices for women in this space. They are the ones that uplift women. And I actually, I'm really excited because recently we launched a hundred million dollar fund called Rev Fund. And that is a value add multifamily fund. It's a private equity source. And I launched it with a JV partner who's also a woman-led company in this same space as me. And she's phenomenal and she's an immigrant as well. And it's just been a really great experience. And these last two deals we closed in Atlanta were done by all women-led teams, not just us as owner-operators, but also our lender, who is the director of capital markets at JLL. Her name's Melissa Quinn. She's amazing. And she's a woman in an 
even more male dominated space if that's even possible. And so it's just been really great to see the movement towards supporting women in this, but there's a lot of organizations that support us and it's going to take time, but I'll say that the biggest difference that I see is I get, I, no one takes my role or my position as the first thought when they see me, right? So they see me and they're like, oh, you're in real estate. Are you a realtor? And I understand that because that's what everybody's exposure is. Right. But no, I'm not. And so I've been in assets where I, that I'm buying for like $38 million. I'm under contract and I'm, this is the first time I'm meeting the broker and they'll be like, oh, so is your husband coming? And I'm like, I don't know. Did you tell him to come meet us? (laughs) Is your wife coming? Like, this is a weird question. Um, So, you know, like things like that happen, but you you have to kind of just roll with the punches a little bit and have like, you know, I'm very fluent in sarcasm. So I do really well with things like that. But if you're not, I would say be prepared for those types of questions, comments. Uh, Even recently, a deal we were buying, I think it was on an $80 million deal. One of the people on the team had asked to meet my partner's husband as a matter of like formality to close the loan, which again, is like really bizarre because he's not in this space. He doesn't do anything in our business. He doesn't own any of her business. And so it's just things like that, that happen more often than you would expect. But there's a lot of really great people that, like I said, will be your cheerleader and will uplift you and support you. And I've had the privilege of working with a lot of those men and women both. Yeah. It sounds like you're just like a great people magnet. And then the question with the, with the husband. So I have to ask the question now, is your husband in real estate? That's oh, gosh, no, not even a little bit. And that's why I find it so hilarious. Cause my husband's a physician, like he probably couldn't even tell. Like when I say, I'm like, honey, do you know where we just bought apartment complex or multifamily complex? I'm like, wasn't it in like Georgia's like Atlanta somewhere? I'm like, okay, so you do listen. And it's like, you know anything about it? Do you know what it's called? He's like, no. So I've called our attorneys and our tax strategists and my sister and my mom. And I'm like, listen, if I die, you have to help him because he's not going to know where anything is. And also as a side note, don't let him sell my handbags for what I told him I paid for them. So... That is the best. That is classic. I love this. This is, I told you, ladies and gentlemen, this was going to be fun here. One of the things that we're trying to do as a goal of getting all of us here in the suite. And you talked about all of these women, the the VC, the the PE, the private equity. It's like this little mini mastermind of, of women. For those women listening right now who are like, wow, that sounds so cool and so attractive, talk to us a little bit about the networking side. So are those like relationships, things that organically or occur or have occurred in your career, Vina, or you... Are you a member of some sort of association or have you done something to propel that and to magnetize those types of relationships? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because ever since I was like a kid, my friends have always teased me. They're like, Dina, you collect people. And I'm like, I collect people. What does that mean exactly? And 
they always like say you just, you network with so many different people from all different walks of life. Like I have friends that are like brilliant neurosurgeons. I have friends that are like knocking on the billion dollar door. I have friends that are maybe living out of their car at times. Like I had just have a really large network of people um, from all different walks of life and I meet them everywhere. And I, I have um, hobbies that maybe have different people. Like I like to play poker. So like, I'll go to like the neighborhood poker game or something. And there'll be people there that are like plumbers and people there that are teachers and just people from all different sectors. And I like to, and you know, it's a spoiler alert, but I'm a total extrovert. So I, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to them. I like to ask questions and like get to know them. And so I just keep a very large network. And I think as a result of that, I just have someone from like all these different walks of life, life in my network. And so with that, I, I, to answer your question, no, I don't actually belong to like any of these formal networking associations. And especially right now, because of COVID, we're just limiting contacts. So I haven't really been part of that, but I do attend a lot of conferences. I actually speak at a lot of conferences now on these podcasts. I'll have people reach out to me and just say, Hey, I really love what you said. I want to learn more. I want to ask you a question or whatever. And I spend a lot of time right now on, have you heard of this app Clubhouse? Yes. Yes. I have heard. uh, I've been on Clubhouse. I was going to ask you about that. So I like really, really loved it when it first came out. I was like totally addicted to it because it's a natural channel for someone like me who like loves to talk and loves to interact with people. It's like online networking all day long. And there's always an interesting room there. And I met so many incredible people. I've met people that I've like, I'm doing business deals with on there and stuff. So it's actually really cool in that way. It's kind of changed a little bit now that they've like opened it up to everybody. I see rooms that I'm like not as interested in. And with all social media, it gives everybody a platform, even when maybe the advice or the things that are being said aren't quite accurate or appropriate in my opinion. Uh, But what you'll notice too, if you follow me on all the social media, I'm like the worst at social media. I'm like on there to, so people know I'm like real and exist in 2021, but I have like, no content I post because I'm so bad at curating content. (laughs) But Clubhouse is nice because it's not evergreen. So I don't feel this pressure to like come up with new content because the same questions get asked over and over. So I keep answering them. And it's a nice way for people to have a touch point with someone they might not usually have a touch point with. Yeah. One of the things that I also think I I was also too, like you, I was so bullish on Clubhouse and then I'm telling everybody I know, oh yeah, get get an account. Yes. And then Twitter spaces comes out. And then you've got this like battle of the social networks. Everybody is basically taking the the same types of features and moving it to their platform. YouTube now they're they're really bullish on on vertical short form vertical video. They've introduced stories. Like everything is just one big competitive landscape. But I did like even though you might not be tweeting tweeting, but even just you retweeting. I love this was I have to mention this tweet and we're going to share your Twitter cuz even if she's not tweeting, she's retweeting really cool stuff. So I loved your retweet with Allison Felix. And I thought it was so like, it was so appropriate for this podcast. 
When Allison Felix decided to start her family in 2018, Nike offered a contract that was 70% less and had no guarantees if her performance declined due to pregnancy. So she left Nike, signed a deal with Athleta, and has a two-year-old daughter and just won her 10th Olympic medal. Legend. Amazing. What I'm hearing from you for women here that I find so inspiring is put yourself in different places. You could be networking outside of your industry and the importance of just doing that, of making sure that you're you're doing things that you love, surround yourself with people who have like interests and the networking and that growth will occur exponentially naturally. Yes, totally. Hey listeners, do you want actionable advice and inspiration for your day? Do you want to take your leadership to the next level? Follow us on Instagram at in the sweet pod and get it all on social. This week we featured strategies on how to find your voice, information about values-based investing and strategic partnerships. All tips we can use from our amazing guests. So please give us a follow. I would appreciate it so much. So let's transition and talk a little bit about your philanthropy roots. And I find that people in the world who have achieved enormous success, they've worked hard, but philanthropy is something that I see over and over. I think it is a repetitive theme, especially for women who have achieved great success. So you literally, literally have philanthropy roots. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? I, so I actually do a lot of different charitable drives, if you will. Each one is something that is meaningful to our family or someone in our social circle in some kind of way. So there's a few that we just support over and over. So Kiva.org is actually one of my favorites. I don't know if you checked it out before, but it's a micro lending site and Um, It allows entrepreneurs in other parts of the world access to financing for their business so that they can grow and hopefully do what I've been able to do with the help of banks and lenders. So um, we become the lenders. And one of the things that we focus on is I lend to women-owned companies on Kiva. And so I have a lending team that I'm a part of and we'll just always pick somebody and then we'll all lend and we'll fund their loan and then we'll move to the next person. And then you get paid the money back. So instead of taking the money back out of Kiva, we actually leave it and we roll it into the next loan. So we continue relending through there. We support water.org, which helps. Uh, It's again, financing. So it's not, it's a whole, like if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, or if you give a woman a fish, she eats for a day. Um, It's Teach the the man or woman to fish And then they'll have fish for a lifetime, right? Exactly. And so that's kind of the idea there is um, you want them to strategically think through how they're going to repay these loans. And of course, the default rate is taken into account as these loans are being made. But historically, people that take these types of loans have a much lower default rate than people that take loans just from normal financing measures. And then there's other organizations. We, I think we planted some trees. So every time I close a big deal, one of the things I do is I do some kind of a charitable fundraise or charitable drive after that. 
I think this was maybe two years ago or three years ago, we planted a few thousand trees. I can't remember exactly how many, but um, in the rainforest. And it was actually inspired because I have twin daughters. So they're, they just turned two. And so in India, there's a village which every time a daughter is born in the village, they plant 111 trees in her honor. And then the family, it's a family's responsibility to take care of and nurture those trees, which give back to the community, their sustenance for the community. And the person who started this, started this when female feticide was really huge. And it's interesting timing because we're recording this in August and that is Daughters Week Awareness in India, which is yeah, to promote and to celebrate having daughters. And so this village started doing this as a way to encourage uh, families to see the value of having a daughter. And the tradition is just carried on. And so when I had my daughters, I was like, oh, we should plant trees in their honor. And so that's really what we did. Obviously, we don't take care of the trees. We just planted right. them. Well, still, just <laughs> even planting the trees. Yeah. And so, and everybody, I invite all of our investors, anybody who worked on the deal, I invite all of them to participate in whatever group fundraiser we do. Um, once we did one for Susan G. Coleman, because one of my colleagues had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. So it was kind of in her honor. And you, so we just pick a different charity every time and we roll with it. That's so fascinating. That's so inspiring to me right now. Like I'm thinking, what an awesome, awesome tradition. But do you have any advice for women? I think it's the best time to enter a male-dominated industry, to totally. put it into one, to just explore, let your mind dream big. Yes, absolutely. So I would say there's two things. One is if you are interested in investing or if you're not interested in investing, especially, you should be. One of the things that I see, and it's an interesting trend I've seen even across my investor portfolio. So my passive investors are now becoming more and more women investors that was not there even four, five, six years ago, as I've seen in the last few years. So one of the things, and I, I so I do have a masterclass to teach investors how to passively invest into projects like mine. So that means you don't have to do anything. You don't have to take the 2 a.m. plumbing call. You don't have to do all of that. But it really goes in depth about what it is, how to look at it, how to know if it's even a good opportunity or not. What questions should you be asking? So it'll really give you the foundation you need before making those passive investments. And it's a really creative name. It's called Multifamily Masterclass. I so. love it. <laughs> hey, whoever on the marketing side, whoever yeah. helped to format the name and, and right. the, the URL, they, they get an a plus on, on right. engine optimization. <laughs> Great. So, right. I know it's like it's totally, but I was like, you know, it needs to be something that people know exactly what it is right out of the gate. And so our website is actually MF masterclass, which is like a little bit cheeky, which is very much in line with my personality. Um, that sarcasm is coming out right there. So, you know, it's mfmasterclass.com. but really what I would say is it, whether it's multifamily or interesting, whatever it is, now is the time to look at education. There's more courses out there than you could ever hope to imagine. So find somebody who resonates with what you want to be doing, what you think you think of this person, like someone that you are going to have to interact with for a long period of time. And if they don't sound like someone you ever want to take a phone call from, 
probably not a good fit for you. And so really go into that, look at different opportunities, understand how they work and how to evaluate them. Because there's a lot of opportunities out there. You want to make the right decisions. And not every deal that even I have is going to be right for every single one of my investors. Some of them don't fit their portfolio. And that's okay. It's not intended to be a one-size-fits-all. It's personal finance because it's personal to you. Um, So I'd say, one, get educated. Two, if you want to be in this space and you want to actually be a commercial real estate investor, start reading about the different types of commercial real estate there are and narrow your focus. Um, Don't try to do everything because it will become very difficult to be an expert in any one of those niches. So find the niche that you like and then fall down that rabbit hole because there's a whole ton of information and kind of ties into the theme of this podcast, but everything comes back to the numbers. So when you are in real estate, your pro forma, which is your forward looking projections for how the asset will perform, the pro forma is kind of a guess, right? Like we're taking our best guess on information, but what you want to make sure is you understand how and why you are making those guesses and you can stand behind it and actually execute it. So as an example, if I'm saying, hey, I'm going to raise these rents by $200 after putting $5,000 of interior upgrades to a unit, I need to be able to say, okay, I think I can raise it $200 because the tenants in the five mile area, their income can support a $200 increase. Also, other units that are in comparable properties to us are getting that additional 200 from renovations. Because if you go to an area where the average income is $50,000 and you put $50,000 into a unit and you put import marble from Italy, you're not going to get your ROI on that. And so it's garbage in, garbage out. So if you put garbage into your spreadsheets, you're going to get garbage numbers in return and you can make anything look good, but you want to make sure you're being realistic. And on the passive side, that's what our course is designed to do is to teach you how to know if it's garbage in, garbage out, or if it's actually solid and reliable and reasonable numbers. And I think every woman should absolutely 100% be interested in personal finance and If you're not interested now, it can be because it's overwhelming, it's intimidating, it's confusing. And we're just not taught this from a young age, like boys and men are taught this. And so I would encourage you, there are a lot of women that are leading this space who oftentimes are less intimidating for new women investors. And we've all been where you are. We didn't None of us were born with this. We were taught this by somebody. For me, it was by my mom at a young age, my dad too. And, you know, my kids, I teach them even now they're two and they have investment portfolios. They have bank accounts. And anytime they get like a birthday gift, like 20, 50 bucks, whatever, I put it into their investment portfolios and they're growing that right now from the age of two, because the time in the market is much more important than the timing of the market. Mm. Gosh, yeah. I wish that I would have learned that at yeah. 20, let alone too, Vina. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you so you you talk about too this this idea of the pro forma, the forward-looking statement based on whatever data that you have. Here's how our business did for the last three months or whatever. Can you just spend just a few minutes talking about it from the VC side, right? Because I see that you are able to straddle both roles. 
roles. Mm -hmm. And being that you've lent money and capital, that you provided capital to women-owned business, is there advice from your side how a woman-owned business needs to present herself, present itself for that capital infusion? Would you have any recommendations around that? Yeah. So I actually emphasize women in business, but I also lend to minority owned businesses as well. Yeah. Um, so those are two of my big focuses, but one of the things that any person lending money knows is women founders of companies do more with less money because they don't get the opportunity to be funded as much as their male counterparts. So anytime you have a woman at the helm of a business, automatically that is a check in their favor. And that's not to say men can't be obviously successful. It's not to say they won't be, but compared, like if you look at just the statistics, women do produce better returns and statistics with their limited funding versus their male counterparts. And so that's like just one kind of thought there. So when you're investing into a deal like mine, right? Like let's say I'm buying 123 Main Street in Atlanta, Georgia, and you come to me, you say, hey, Vina, I want to invest into that deal. You actually are acting as the VC or private equity is really what it is. So you're acting as a private equity lender in that space. And so, because you're getting an equity position in the property. And so the way to understand like that specific space, like I had mentioned, there's a, there's a ton of free resources. If you Google it, our masterclass goes through all of that. So you can understand and learn the financials. From the lending perspective, when I'm making an investment into a company, and especially recently, I've been focusing a lot on tech portfolios and tech startups. And one of the things that I'm looking at with tech is not just who the founders are. I like to look at the business more as a holistic perspective. So I like to know who are your strategic partners? What's the end game here? Are we exiting to a bigger company? Like is Facebook buying us? Is Google buying us? Who's buying you? And if they don't have a clear path to that, then to me, that's an issue because I like to know where the clear end is on those types of investments. Are we structuring as debt or are we structuring as equity? Am I going to take a piece of the business and am I going to participate in that upside? Or are you just paying me whatever the yield is on a coupon or, or is it a convertible? No. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. Have you taken funding from somebody else already? If you've taken funding from somebody else, what did that look like? What were their terms? Are you giving me better terms or worse terms? Am I a strategic partner or am I just a capital partner for you? Because if I'm a strategic partner, it probably means I have to do some amount of work to help you get to that next level. And I want to know what that commitment is. So I look at a lot of different things. I have like a very diverse sector of, it's called angel investing that I really do. It's not so much, well, I guess VC is kind of in that same bucket, but I do more angel investing. And I like to personally take equity into businesses that I believe in because I want the upside. I'm far enough away from retirement that I can take on a little more risk. So that's kind of what I look for. That's so great. All of that. I'm so glad, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to put all of this in the show notes. I love this. This this time goes by so fast. We've learned incredible. Today's episode with you, Vina, is its own masterclass. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for it. I know that the women listening, 
everybody, you learned something, right? You learned something. <laughs> this is putting a little bit of spring in your step today and going, yeah, I'm going to look a little bit deeper even into my own holdings and take a course and let my mind explore. And yeah, why not? If not you, then, then who, ladies? Absolutely. So what a great summary of all of those things. You show that it is the preparation of just having the answers to those questions and watching even a few of your questions reminded me of, of Shark Tank, of course, right? Where we're all all familiar. And I guess a, a big shout out to Barbara Corcoran uh, wow. from the Corcoran, right? There we go. Oh, Real yeah. estate, rah, rah. <laughs> Got to get that in. Lori Grenier. They're like all amazing. I, I love watching the women, especially on that show. And Kendra Scott has been on there recently, which is awesome. And she built a billion dollar business. Yeah. She's the jewelry lady, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many women to choose from now that it's really great. But I think Kendra Scott is the only billion dollar, like I think she's the only billion dollar founder, like that she started the company from the ground up and she was named something recently and I can't remember what it was, but She's a phenomenal woman. Yeah. I'd also like to see Marsha Kilgore from Bliss. She started Bliss Spa. And she's like kind of an idol for me too. So it's just really exciting to see women doing such amazing things in their space. Yeah, it is. Well, before we answered our last question, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? You can find me on my website. It's just vivefunds.com, V-I-V-E-F-U-N-D-S.com. I have an investor portal there. So you log in, you can sign up for the investor portal. You can see kind of what we're up to. We do conference calls so that you can kind of understand how our projects work. And then if you're interested in the masterclass, just mfmasterclass.com. I'm sure you'll put a link in somewhere that people can. I'm going to put find. a link in and that's memorialized actually in my mind. I'm going to just remember that like a photographic memory. That, that's, it. that's fantastic. I love that. And I'd love to know someone like you, what's your best book recommendation? Oh gosh, best book recommendation? Or or the one that we should read, like anything like Oh okay. I, I'm gonna actually transition this uh this I'm gonna ask also too for Netflix series, right? Oh like, what's okay. your best book? What's your best Netflix? Okay, okay, okay. Netflix. Wait. How long do we have to go over these lists? <laughs> uh, okay, so I have, I'm, let me do my, like the, my more recent reads and then I'll give you the one that I think like everybody should read. Okay. So right now I'm reading, I'm in the middle of two different books. One was recommended to me by my one of my mentors. I don't think he knows that I adopted him as my mentor, but he totally is because he's just amazing. He, his mom is like a total boss. He runs a company that has like, hundreds of locations. He has like massive franchise brands. He's a franchisor, amazing person. So he actually sent me the book. So I'm in the middle of reading. It's called Vivid Vision and it's for entrepreneurs. And it's really to help hone and narrow your company focus in the direction. So it's like a strategy plan that intended for entrepreneurs to get their vivid vision. I'm like halfway through it right now. It's really good. The other book I'm in the middle of reading right now is called The Formula. So it's actually like about parenting and it's about how you can raise high achieving children, not like prodigies, like you don't need to raise the next Bobby Fisher or anything like that, but it's how do you raise children that are high achieving and want to pursue these like really big goals and dreams. And it's been really useful because my kids are like kind of getting to that age where they're 
able to like learn and stuff. So we're using a lot of those techniques and hopefully giving them a little bit of a head start. Um, and then the other book that I just finished was called, uh, actually I finished two kind of simultaneously called Outliers and Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, I love his books because they're just really interesting anecdotes, even though they're nonfiction, they talk about different correlations that you kind of see in the world. And it actually, he interviews a lot of entrepreneurs and like how they think in within these anecdotes. So I really enjoy enjoyed both of those books. And then the book that I think everybody should read about finance specifically is The Millionaire Next Door. It is a classic. I think that it puts you in the right mindset to be saving and not be so focused on keeping up with the Joneses or having a materialistic things being prioritized over your finance and your personal finance goals in the long-term horizon. And so you bring up a good tenant about just wealth and finance in, in general. And that is that we're just, we're a steward of wealth. All of this wealth, like money changes hands. And at the end of the day, it's what we do with that money that it's creating that impact, which is something that that you've done. And now teaching that next generation to think in terms of impact rather than possessions. And that's that's something hard to do in our world, especially with social media and Instagram and TikTok and seeing how visually appealing our society is and wanting things that other people have. I mean, and don't get me wrong, like I love Chanel just as much as the next girl. Like, so... I enjoy the material things, but we prioritize experiences over those types of things. And more importantly for me, I want to build generational wealth. I want to leave a legacy behind. So I want my kids to know and understand that they were born into immense privilege, but not everybody has this. And if they want to keep this, then they need to do certain things to maintain a certain lifestyle. And so I want to teach them that young and make sure that that is something that they are, they're comfortable with money discussions, they're comfortable walking into a room talking about finances, and they're confident doing that. Well, great lessons today, Vita Jetty. Thank you so much for being here in the suite. Thank you for having me. You're listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hirshhorn. Our editor-at-large is Kevin Hirshhorn. Our content writers are Dimple Rashandani, Daniel Wheeler, Olivia Gonzalez, and Tina Powell. In The Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a high growth digital marketing and social media agency for the financial services and the wealth management industry. You can visit csuitesocialmedia.com to learn more. And please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with the amazing Vina Jetty and share your thoughts on social media, hashtag in the suite. You can connect with Vina on LinkedIn and Twitter at Vina Jetty. And please visit her website at vivefunds.com for access to her masterclass and other educational materials. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing, giving us five-star reviews. We are so, so grateful to you. We've got listeners in 1,188 cities, 55 countries, which completely, completely blows my mind. I can't even believe it. We owe it all to you. We're so, so grateful. Thank you. Also to remember to give us a follow on Instagram over there. Great materials, great content over there as well. Again, thank you so much for listening and subscribing to In The Suite.